Lord, we do acknowledge this morning that you are the God of all salvation. You are the one who saves us. Lord, you hear the prayers of your people. No doubt, many who know you are crying out to you today, cry out to you day and night, longing to know that, that you hear, to feel your presence, to know that you care, to know that you are at work. Lord, instruct us today through your word. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Church, you may be seated. This is probably not a text that you naturally gravitate to in the morning for your morning devotional. In fact, I put a cough drop in my mouth just a few minutes ago and noticed on the little Hall's wrapper uh, the tagline of a pep talk in every drop. Uh, I'm not sure the same can be said of Psalm 88, at least not in and of itself without greater regard for the rest of God's word. This is a tough text, but the Bible isn't always simple and clean and easy. In fact, it's often rather messy, or at least at the point that its truths intersect with our lives. So either the text and the tone of Psalm 88 readily resonates with you because you have experienced some rather difficult circumstances in your life, or else it may feel ghostly foreign, perhaps even unspiritual and borderline inappropriate. But I want to challenge that notion this morning because this text, like every portion of the Bible, is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and for training in righteousness. So what could such a bold and desperate plea for God's help and intervention teach us today? What could we or should we learn from this text? In the midst of suffering, the faithful cry out to God and cling to hope for deliverance. In the midst of suffering midst of tragedy, in the midst of turmoil, in the midst of difficult circumstances, difficult life circumstances, the faithful cry out to God and cling to hope for His deliverance. Church, let's remove a bit of the facade this morning. I certainly want to be pastoral, I want to be sensitive, but let's forget about PC talk uh, for just a few moments today. Let's not pretend all is well if all really isn't well. Some of you are are battling addiction today to alcohol, to pornography, to gambling, to, to prescription drugs, and you feel like you are confined and cannot escape. Perhaps you know you have a problem and you want help, but you wonder if you are too far gone and if there is no hope. Some of you are presently dealing with terminal illness, incurable cancer, heart disease, perhaps a combination of health issues that adversely affect each other to the degree that the chance of physical healing and restoration seems impossible. Maybe that's even what you have been told for a number of years. So some of you are grieving today. Grieving the sudden loss of a loved one 
that felt and still feels so wrong. Your life was wrecked and you don't know why, nor can you seem to carry on. Many are broken hearted over another tragic loss of a high school student in our community who felt as if he had no hope. While some are angry, angry over the inability to see the darkness and intervene, still others are deeply depressed and feeling broken, more easily identifying with the loneliness and the perpetual pain of the student. Likewise, church, the psalmist is deeply disturbed and afflicted, suffering in the midst of ongoing sickness and sorrow. The great preacher Charles Spurgeon said, If ever there was a song of sorrow and a psalm of sadness, this is one. Broken and bruised, abandoned and abused, he cries out to God. The psalmist cries out to God, verse 2, Turn your ear to my cry. I am overwhelmed with troubles and my life draws near to death. The psalmist Christ serves as an example for us to follow in times of darkness and in times of despair. We must practice persistent prayer during prolonged affliction. As people of faith, as people of faith in the God of the Scriptures, we must practice persistent prayer during prolonged affliction, lest we believe suffering is a 21st century phenomenon or is limited to a select few unlucky or somehow deserving set of individuals. May we only look to the Psalms and find that people of faith have experienced prolonged affliction and overwhelming pain ever since the fall of man in the Garden of Eden. Like Job, suffering and affliction, perhaps a lifelong and debilitating disease, verse 15, left this particular man troubled and on the very verge of death, verse 3. Yet even so, he cries out to God and he cries out in persistent prayer. Day and night, I cry out to you. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. Verse 9, I call to you, Lord, every day. I spread out my hands to you. Verse 13, but I cry to you for help, Lord. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. Believers pray because they know God saves. Believers pray. They approach God in prayer. They speak to God. They carry their needs and afflictions and suffering and hurts to God because they know that God saves. This is the why of prayer. Lord, you are the God who saves me. Day and night I cry out to you. But I cry to you, Lord, for help. In the morning my prayer comes before you. When sickness consumes us, when death comes knocking for us, when fear or depression overtake us, we we pray. We pray, church. We, We pray, believers, because we know God saves. He is the sovereign one who rescues. He is the author of salvation. If we know him, then we know 
this about him, and so did they. The psalmist writes in Psalm 62, Truly my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from Him. Truly He is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. Friends, because God is sovereign and because He saves, never give up hope. Never give up hope. The word hope isn't found in Psalm 88, but it's all over the Bible and it's prevalent even in the Psalms. So let's talk about this idea of hope for a moment. If, if I said to you, I hope the Arkansas Razorbacks win the SEC basketball championship, uh, you know that I would be saying, I hope, I, I would really like them uh, to do so. I, I really like this to happen. I like the Razorbacks to go all the way to the finals of the SEC tournament and win the championship game. There's a chance it could happen, uh, but you know, as well as I, uh, don't count on it, right? But when the psalmist writes, put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him. Or when Paul writes, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, it is more than wishful thinking. There is something deeper there. There's something deeper that's being communicated. It is waiting with eager expectation. So to never give up hope is to keep waiting with expectation for God to intervene and for God to deliver. God does intervene and He does deliver. So we pray until God answers. We pray until He answers. All of this prayer, this song, is directed to the Lord. Day and night I cry out to you, verse 1. I call to you, Lord, every day, verse 9. I cry to you for help, Lord, verse 13. Though the prayer, the psalmist feels absolutely miserable. Crying out to God for deliverance from death, he continues to express faith, for he is praying to the Lord, to his Lord. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, one of the famous and influential German theologians of the 20th century, said of lament psalms, of which this is one, even in the deepest hopelessness, God alone remains the one addressed. Even in the deepest hopelessness, God is the one who is solely addressed by the man or woman of faith. But even so, the bleak picture here serves to remind us that life doesn't always have a happy ending doesn't always end in the way that we desire or want. In fact, I was reading this particular psalm out loud yesterday morning at breakfast, uh, listening for uh, the rhythm, and, and my, my son Paxton was sitting there next to me, and I came to the end of the psalm, and it says, Darkness is my closest friend. And he said, Who is his friend? I said, Darkness, because he's sad. He's sick. And he wants God to help him. My three-year-old responded, he's, that's not good. <laughs> You're right, it's not. And he said, remember when Pops was really sick? And he died. I said, yeah, you're right, son. You see, unlike 
the other Psalms, this text doesn't end on a high note of deliverance, but on a note of pain and depression, darkness and disappointment. But even in the midst of suffering, the faithful cry out to God and cling to hope for deliverance. Yet even in the dark, we do not despair. We pray to the God who saves. We must practice persistent prayer during prolonged affliction. And we pray because we know the God who saves. That's why we pray. But what do we pray? We pray with transparency before God. Believers practice transparency with God. The Psalms are an invitation to transparency with God. This man... And not only this particular man, but every man or woman who has taken this psalm upon their lips during times of desperation feels defeated and isolated. Feeling not only abandoned by God, but punished by God. He says, essentially, in verse 5, I am left for dead. He continues, verse 6, you have put me. Speaking to God, accusing God, you have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavily on me. You have overwhelmed me with all your waves. You have taken from me my closest friends and have made me repulsive to them. I am confined and cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief. What a dark, dark picture of defeat and isolation. Overpowered and confined without encouragement or fellowship from his former friends who have now left him. Like they did with Job, they have distanced themselves from him. Perhaps the devastation and the turmoil in his life was bringing them down, and they needed some space. Have you ever felt alone? Have you ever felt mistreated? As if God was disappointed in you. Has suffering or grief or depression or sickness so overtaken you that you pleaded with God because you felt as if He wasn't there? Verse 14, Why, Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? Friends, in the midst of suffering, physical or emotional agony, we are invited to cry out to God Praying with honesty and specificity. Let's pray. Let's pray as the psalmist did. Let's let's pray with this kind of transparency with God. Let's pray with honesty and specificity. Have you ever been upset or concerned and felt like you just needed to talk to someone? Didn't really want to listen to anyone because you had not yet felt as if you had been heard. We We call this venting. I think the book of Psalms is an invitation on some level for us to vent to God. God invites us to vent to Him, pouring out our feelings and frustrations from the perspective of faith. From the perspective of faith in Him. He already knows, but He wants us to come to Him. Church, the Almighty God is the perfect Father, and He is a caring friend. Are you troubled? Are you hurting today? Are you lonely? Are you angry? Talk to Him honestly and specifically. Cry out to Him for help and cling to hope for His deliverance. We don't surrender. As people of faith, as believers, we we don't surrender. We, We don't throw in the towel. We don't surrender 
to the darkness of unending depression. We don't give up here until it's over because we want God to be glorified through our lives. So in the midst of suffering, we cry out to God for help and we cling to hope for deliverance. Those who know this God, the only God, the God who saves, have an altered perspective, a new perspective, a perspective that shifts away from me-centeredness and toward God-centeredness. Notice that the psalmist pleads with God to deliver him from death, not simply for his own sake, not simply for his own comfort and satisfaction, yes, certainly for his sake, but also for the sake of God's reputation and glory. When troubled, we must desire deliverance for God's glory. When we are troubled, we must desire, we must long for deliverance for God's glory. Let me try to share what I mean with a fairly familiar analogy. On November the 24th, 2017, uh, Brett Bielema was fired as the Razorbacks head football coach after a season-ending loss to the Missouri Tigers. Word quickly got out, you know this, many of you know this, that the university wanted to go after Auburn coach uh, Gus Malzahn. Personally, knowing that uh, Malzahn's overall record far exceeded recent Razorback history and expectations, I'll have to admit this morning that I rooted, secretly rooted against the Tigers in uh, both the Iron Bowl and the SEC Championship, not because I dislike the Tigers. I can't believe I'm telling you this this morning. (laughs) But hoping that Malzahn would feel some pressure and choose to head west. Because you see, when it comes to sports, a coach's reputation is often rather tightly tied to the success of the team. In a similar way, When it comes to the reputation of our God, when it comes to religion, God's reputation in the world is often tied to the faith of his people. A self-centered, self-serving religious practice misses the message of the Bible and the mercy of God. When suffering and trouble come and they linger as they do so often, those who know God cry out for a miracle. They cry out for deliverance from death, at least in part because they want to praise God for His intervention. Believers desire to praise God for deliverance. We desire to praise God for deliverance. We desire to praise God for for rescuing us. We desire to praise Him for salvation. Verse 10, do you show your wonders to the dead? Do their spirits rise up and praise you? The psalmist is pleading with God to spare his life. And those whom God spares want to praise him for sparing them. This man essentially says, God, if if you don't deliver me from this affliction, I can't praise you here on earth for your intervention. There's a longing among those who know God to praise him for they know he is worthy. We know he is worthy and we desire For others to experience His goodness and His grace. Believers desire to praise God for deliverance. And believers desire to promote God's goodness in the world. Believers desire to promote 
God's goodness. Verse 11, the psalmist asks the question, Is your love, God, declared in the grave? Your faithfulness in destruction? Are your wonders known in the place of darkness or your righteous deeds in the land of oblivion? In in short, this man says, God, if this kills me, if this affliction that I am suffering, this deep affliction that I have suffered since the time of my youth, if this takes my life, if I die, I cannot tell others about your love and faithfulness anymore. The saved want to spread the glory and the renown of God here on this earth. We want others, church, to experience Him. We want others to know Him. And so we call on Him. We plead with Him to spare us here. I think this is Paul's point in Philippians. When he essentially says, I'd rather die. To die is is gain. I'd rather die. I'd rather leave this life and go and be with my Savior. But it's better for your account, for your sake, that I remain here. Likewise, the psalmist says, Lord, spare me from death. Deliver me that I might proclaim your love and your power and your faithfulness in the world. Friend, do you have a, a longing to promote God's goodness to the people of the world? Longing to declare, to share, to proclaim His goodness and His grace to those near and far, even, even in the midst of suffering. Friend, do you cling to hope? Do you cling to hope for deliverance because you want to tell the world about the God who delivered you? I don't think it's coincidental that the very next psalm begins this way. I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. With my mouth, I will make your faithfulness known through all generations. When troubled, we must desire deliverance for God's glory. Meaning we know who He is. We, we know that He is God. Therefore, He is operating and acting with knowledge and understanding and a perspective that we do not have. So we trust Him. We trust Him. Even in the darkness. And we submit to Him even in the midst of trouble. Express submission even in the darkness. Express submission to this God, our God, the only God, even in, in the darkness. The text and tone of, of this psalm. Unlike the other psalms, uh, the text and tone here are not resolved. There remains a lack of understanding and a lack of comfort, but in faith, there's submission. Verse 9, I call to you, Lord, every day. I spread out my hands. Picture of submission. I spread out my hands to you. Sometimes, church, suffering remains. Sometimes suffering remains for the duration of this life. But even so, even so, the faithful cry out to God for help and cling to hope for deliverance. In in church, we, we find comfort in the greater context of God's word. We, we find comfort and hope in the rest of the story. We find comfort in knowing that our God is no stranger to suffering. We find comfort in knowing that our Savior is no stranger to submission, even in the darkness. For on the night of His betrayal, our Lord Jesus Christ prayed in agony over the suffering that He was about to endure 
for the sins of the world. Luke chapter 22, verse 42, we read Jesus' prayer to the Father. He says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Lord, if if you are willing, take this suffering from me. I don't want to endure this. Take your wrath away from me. I don't want this. Yet not my will, but yours be done. And the story continues. Luke tells us, and being in anguish, our, our Savior, the Son of God, in the flesh, in anguish, agonized. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. For he knew what he was about to endure. Friends, Jesus knew that God's wrath would soon lie heavily on him as he endured the suffering of all sufferings, as he experienced the death of all deaths, the turmoil of all turmoil separated from the Father, enduring the judgment that we really do deserve. And in the midst of suffering, in the midst of his suffering, Christ's friends, like the psalmist, like Job's, would also desert him distancing themselves from him. But the story continues. That's not the end of the story. You know this. In fact, in Acts chapter 2, Peter would later proclaim to the Jews that this man, this Jesus, was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. God planned this. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Verse 24, But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. But the power of God, the Son of God and Savior of the world, was delivered from death. He was raised back to life, defeating sin and suffering and Satan and death. And Christ's victory over sin and death becomes my victory over sin and death. And your victory over sin and suffering and death when you turn to Him in faith. Therefore, no matter what kind of sickness or turmoil or trouble or grief or hardship or suffering or tragedy that we face here in these bodies, we can confidently say, as those who know the victory of Christ, we can join with Paul in saying, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Church, thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, praise Jesus. Praise Jesus, for He gives you new life. He gives you new life. Praise Jesus. You don't have to fear death. Praise Jesus. He delivers us from the kingdom of darkness and brings us into His marvelous light. Praise Jesus that we know the hope of deliverance. A hope to be fully realized when we shall soon see His face. Praise Jesus for He provides a gospel lens through which we can begin to understand suffering and tragedy here. Praise Jesus. Believer, praise Jesus today, for through Him we are invited to cry out to God for help and to cling to hope for His deliverance. Yes, here in this life, if the Lord wills it. But most certainly so, assuredly so, in the life to come. Father, we thank You for Your Word that invites us to approach You honestly and openly 
to cry out to you for help. Lord, to share feelings, even feelings of frustration and pain and turmoil. You invite us to come before you and to come before you confidently through the blood of Jesus Christ, knowing that you accept us, knowing that you love us. Father, we pray for those that are hurting today. Lord, I pray for those who are suffering today in this room, that they would have a very real sense of assurance and peace and comfort and eternal hope from you today. We thank you that you are a God who identifies with us because you humbled yourself and you became one of us and ultimately you gave your life, life of your one and only Son, Jesus Christ, on the cross for our sins that we might be forgiven and restored, reconciled, that we might know and live for you. Father, and we thank you for your Spirit that resides in us as your people, a deposit guaranteeing what is to come, the life that is to come. Lord, comfort your people today. Move us to praise you, to recount your greatness and your faithfulness and your love. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.